Who's on second? Who's on first? What base do you want to talk about? I'm going to get in a lot of trouble here. You play to win the game. We're in here talking about practice. At home, they call me Big Al, and I hit dingers. I want your heart. I want to eat his children. Come after me! They're comedians, they're sports fans, and all-around degenerates. It's the Who's On First podcast with your hosts, Matt Marin and Anthony Passaretti. I'm a man. I'm 40. What's up? Welcome to the Who's On First podcast. Matt Marin here with Anthony Passaretti. What's going on? We are back on Zoom in person the last couple of weeks. Now we're on Zoom because you are quarantining. Yeah, I'm trying to be uh, I'm trying to be good. I'm not trying to mess around and get uh, get sick because like now it's, you know, going to. It's getting to that point where things are starting to spike enough where like I'm I'm already kind of paranoid about I think I'd be kind of like this even if I wasn't planning on seeing my parents at some point in the next couple weeks. Because yeah. I'm just starting to get I'm starting to get that way. I don't I'm yeah. not like one of the like predisposed people, but I every winter from the time I was like eight to the time I was no, even younger than that. Real young to about 15, I would get bronchitis like a motherfucker every winter. I'd have these fucking huge hacking coughs all the time. And the flu almost killed me when I was in eighth grade. So I do get a little bit paranoid about this kind you, of stuff. You almost, you, it almost killed you? I missed more school from that one flu than I did the rest of my life put together. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty wild. But... Anyway, so yeah, so you know, yeah. so I'm being, uh, I'm being instead extra of t- t- careful. Yeah, instead of talking about almost dying, let's get into what happened this week. Um, did you have anything specific? I mean, I know we want to get into the baseball Hall of Fame vote. Uh, we did that yeah. last year, and we had the uh, new people come in on the ballot this year. Do you want to start off with that? Um, let, let's hop into that in a minute, because um, I think we're going to spend the longest time on the hall of fame thing. Also, it's just cool that we get to do something like we've been doing this long enough now where it's like, Hey, it's the second annual go through the hall of fame ballot. Yeah. That's pretty, that's tra- pretty... And we have an, a- we have an annual tradition. Yeah. That's, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty rad. But, um, just, just real quick before we get into that, um, two DeAndre's made the news in football this week. Uh, I know about DeAndre, ba- Oh, DeAndre Baker and DeAndre Hopkins. Absolutely, for two different things. DeAndre Baker, former Giants defensive back, um, had criminal charges brought up against him for having something to do with an armed robbery. He denied it the whole way. Turns out he was right, exonerated. Three people got arrested for extorting him, and he's off the hook. And it sounds like he's going to get signed by the Chiefs today. Yeah, that's the last I heard also. That's straight. Normally, um, like you hear this excuse of the – oh, they're just extorting me. I'm actually innocent. They're just trying to get money or whatever. And that's kind of become the go-to excuse for a famous person who is guilty. So almost when someone says that, you almost think, yeah, that's just the excuse they're doing. But mm-hmm. yeah, this it actually happened. And it probably happens more than we think it does. To those types of people in that position, I think that it, I, I'm not, you know, it's hard to call it like common or, but I think like, I tend to believe it a little bit more for someone in that position. Someone who kind of like just just came from nothing, has this huge influx of money in the same way that I'd believe it from like a lottery winner. Just somebody who, who did not have a lot of money and now has a ton and now all the like broke people in their life are like coming straight for them. Yeah, the best, uh, one of the best pictures ever in the history of the internet is this uh, 
a large overweight man with um i don't know if he has some kind of mental retardation some condition you can see a little bit of it in his face and uh he's with this super hot blonde girl and it says i had the most amazing week of my life from the luckiest man in the world first i won the lottery then i met the love of my life can you believe it <laughs> yes when it rains it pours man yeah. <laughs> that's funny and um then- but I don't, I, don't say, I don't really I don't really know the details of this uh, DeAndre Baker thing. He was like accused of a robbery and it turned out he was never even there. Um yeah, the the actual details are still sort of being filtered out as they like legally can be, but yeah, that's what it seems to be. It seems like he was implicated in as being a part of an armed robbery. He, you know, and then the guys that actually did it <laughs> were overplaying his involvement in an enormous way. Um the article didn't like flat out say like he had, he doesn't even know these people. Like these are people he does know. So, you know. Oh, so they were like friends of his who knew they'd be able to say his name and they can connect that. Oh, they were friends. Yeah. And that's what I think. Like you never know if there's like scheming going on. Like that guy from that, that show that like paid his two friends to like kick the shit out of him. And then he went on CNN and like, got caught oh just yeah that that fucking idiot but then also uh yeah (laughs) if 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 anybody didn't see the way that the bills cardinals game ended this week god damn that's one of the most unlikely catches i've ever seen Quite that. Well, I lost it just for a second. Am I good? Yeah, you're back. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I um I can't quite think of a Hail Mary caught with three guys like that that I've seen before. Aaron Rodgers had a few Hail Mary passes. Um, and that we've seen Hail Mary, the Doug Flutie one. Usually it's a tip ball or something. And I've seen like Calvin Johnson go up between three guys, but Hopkins isn't like six foot six like Calvin Johnson. That was just a wild play. It, it, it's unbelievable. I the, I sort of remember the Jaguars at one point having a pretty impressive one where, where the defense, instead of catching it, the guy like double hand smacked the ball and he just smacked it straight into a receiver that was just already on the ground and they yeah. just fucking lost because he just volleyballed it to this dude. Um, but yeah, it almost it, it like at, at what point does it stop becoming a great catch and just become like, damn. That was lucky. <laughs> like, do you think he even saw the ball or do you think he just had his arms ready and it just goes through this tiny little opening and all these people and he's just like, oh shit. Um, I'm sure it's a combination <laughs> of skill and luck. I'm sure he like, t- I mean, there's definitely, he timed it and jumped and timed everything perfectly. Um, but also he had to counter the fact that the defenders around him did not time it perfectly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. And the Bills it's pretty deflating for them. They've been pretty excited. They've been on like a roll. They're pretty happy to be kind of considered the best team in their division for the first time in a long time. It's like that you could see it on them. That was kind of a big smack in the the face to their season. They were unhappy to lose that game. Yeah. Um, So I'm looking up, uh, I'm thinking of some of the best Hail Marys that I could think of of all time. 
Um, there's one that specifically stands out to me, and I think it's because of what happened just before the Hail Mary pass. Uh, it's called the Bluegrass Miracle. It was the LSU Tigers against the Kentucky Wildcats back in, like, 2002. The ball was – it was um, LSU. They were down 74-yard pass to Devery Henderson. I remember that name because he played for the Saints a little later. Um, he made the catch. The thing I remember is that uh, – Kentucky had just scored and poured Gatorade on their coach before LSU hit the Hail Mary and won the game. So he lost the game <laughs> and he had Gatorade all over him and had to watch his team lose. <laughs> That's got to be one of the shittiest, coldest, stickiest showers to take. Just like as he's like trying to put his like windbreaker in his car, he's like so fucking mad. <laughs> yeah. That sucks so much. Uh, that is to, to, to be considered a hail, does it to, to be considered a hail mary? Does it have to be a touchdown pass, or does it have to just? Can it just be a just a seventy yard heave, like with a minute to go, and um, then you do something once you catch it? Or does a hail uh, mary it, have think, to end? In, no, I think it's still considered a, like if you're from your own twenty and you heave it downfield and make a catch and get into field goal range, it's still a hail mary, but it doesn't get remembered in history the way a game-winning touchdown hail mary does. Yeah, so like if the quarterback's about to get sacked, like they have his jersey, he like rips away and he just hucks one down, and someone happens to pin it to the top of their helmet, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the David Tyree play, it technically probably is a hail mary, but. It doesn't. Uh, I think people generally associate Hail Mary with a touchdown on a Hail Mary. <laughs> certainly, certainly felt like a miracle when it happened. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it's a miracle. I mean, you know more about what uh, as a Jew. I actually don't know the background to like the term Hail Mary. I just know it's like a prayer. Yeah, uh, Mary in the Catholic Church is considered like one of the big figures. But if you're not Catholic, she's kind of just like a like a Jesus's mom, just sort of a. a not one of the you wouldn't pray to her if you weren't catholic yeah but um what's it uh also and then another football game ended really funny this week uh i don't know if you saw the end of the western michigan game but no they I, had, I didn't see this they had a less than three percent chance of winning and they won on a fake spike they took they ran a trick play a guy on the end just wanders into the end zone because they successfully ran a fake spike play <laughs> fake spike and then a screen pass yeah, I that college football is really good for that. Maybe uh, one of the best college football games I've ever seen was the uh, Boise State Oklahoma Fiesta Bowl back in the day. In oh, is that the one with the Statue of Liberty was, ending? That's one of the. I mean, that's the ending. But there's multiple trick plays. There was a hook and ladder play they did before that to get to overtime. There's the Statue of Liberty that uh, when a team uh, these like random mid majors that either have a good year or whatever, and they just pull everything out. Like, at this point, some trick plays have become a little bit hack, where it's like, you know, the wide receiver thrown to the quarterback, Josh Allen, they did that in the Bills game also. Made a nice catch, but it's like we've seen that. Mm-hmm. For for as not fun as playing varsity football was, junior varsity football was, like, one of the more fun things I've gotten to do. Uh, we were actually okay. I think my JV team went, like, 6-4. and four. Like, we actually did win games. And I got to like be the center of that team, but we would run trick plays every once in a while because the coaches were like, "Hey, it's JV, fuck it." 
try yeah. try to trick play. And one time we did score a touchdown on because I was a center. I had to like orchestrate the whole thing. Have you ever seen that stupid like you get there and like the center like has the ball and they're like this isn't the right ball and you like sort of give it to the quarterback and the quarterback pretends to like run to the sideline like hey the ball's wrong the ball and then just all of a sudden just takes off the fucking end zone i think i've only (laughs) seen that in movies we did that and it worked (laughs) because you can technically snap the ball at the quarterback by standing up and turning around and giving it to him and this like everybody on the line sold it so good. And it was it was my favorite moment of playing. It was so funny. The yeah. other team was so mad. <laughs> I think that was in the longest yard, the remake with Adam Sandler. They do something where like Adam Sandler walks to the sideline to yell at the coach and they snap the ball to the up back while Adam and then pass it to Sandler. It's it's a a successful trick play is one of the coolest things to have, like in sports, I think. It's just like a successful fake, a successful, like there's so like, you could hear the crowd go crazy. Like the second you think it's going to be a punt and then it's not the electricity of everybody yeah. being like, oh shit, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. I love it. Um, also, that's wh- how low the bar, that the, that's how low the bar is for Jewish athletes. Adam Sandler in the young, longest yard is probably top 10 Jewish athletes of all time. <laughs> it's kind of like how Philly sports has to include Rocky. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> there's just, you have to start padding the resume a little. <laughs> yeah. Adam Sandler. Um, yeah. What the, about Adam um, Sandler and grownups? He, he won that three on three tournament. <laughs> yeah. He also in eight crazy nights, he would play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's funny. There was and one ha- more. Oh, happy Gilmore. He's a two sport athlete in happy Gilmore. He's like, Oh yeah. Hockey and golf. And getting hit in the face with baseballs. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, but yeah, well, I hadn't seen the I hadn't seen the Western Michigan game. Um, but yeah, do you have any? I guess is the David Tyree your favorite Hail Mary? I mean, it's it a, would be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's personally the the one that I was most excited to see. It's the first yeah. thing I think of when I think of ridiculous catches. What about like a game winning uh, like touchdown Hail Mary? I don't know. The, the, there's tons of recency bias because I'm not looking at a list in front of me. The the, the last yeah. game winning catch I can remember that I watched like the highlight of like a hundred times and then a, every reaction was the Stefan Diggs one. But that was more about watching YouTube videos of uh, people in Louisiana crying. It yeah, was, that, <laughs> I guess that counts as a Hail Mary, but that was kind of like a regular run play. It was one-on-one coverage. It wasn't hurl it up and pray as much as the um Aaron Rodgers had a few Brett Favre had one with the Vikings that was mm-hmm. uh, also I don't know how much of a Hail Mary it was I think generally we think Hail Mary we think hurl it up into a crowd of people hope your guy comes down with it as yeah. opposed to like actually running around and catching your guy in the back of the end zone Aaron Rodgers has had like three mm-hmm. yeah and and again at a certain point like it's it's a little bit. I mean, that's literally what it is. Like you're just yeah. throwing it up and hoping something good happens. Yeah. It's the like, Doug Flute, Doug Flutie one is probably the most famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it's a uh, maybe it's worth going through when we have like a, a more comprehensive list in front of us one yeah. day. I'm sure there's a couple good ones. But yeah. I only had one other like football-y, college football sort of thing this week because you already mentioned Kentucky. Um, Kentucky did a thing that like on paper looks nice, but made me laugh because they, uh, their offensive line coach died this week and to honor him for the first play of the game, they didn't have a right guard to like symbolize, like our line is missing something. Yeah. 
but I can't think of a way to like a weirder way to honor the O-line coach than by forgetting to put someone on the O-line. Like that's the thing that would fucking enrage them so much is if yeah. those fucking five guys were that's, out of position. So like the, the way to honor him is the, <laughs> I just, I know, I know what they were going for, but just in my head, just like, Oh man, if there was ever a gap in the O-line, our coach would have had a second stroke. He would have came back to life and stroked out again. <laughs> it was, it was so, uh, yeah. that was just, I thought that was amusing. Um, and then, uh, do you have the Hall of Fame ballot well, open there, in front of you right now? Uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, let's go through the rest of kind of the NFL. And um, I'm trying, was there any, there wasn't anything really big in college. Well, Michigan is un- like lost, but they're unranked. So they may, this may be the end of the Jim Harbaugh years. Yeah, yeah, it's very possible. I mean, his he had a long run. It has to yeah, well, come to well, it. So Harbaugh was a college coach at Stanford and made Stanford very good. And then Mm -hmm. um, he went to the NFL and got to the Super Bowl with the 49ers. Now he's back at, like, he, I don't know. It doesn't seem to have really worked with Michigan um, because in college you control so much that it really is, I think, so much more on the coach, like how your program is doing than – other sports necessarily you're the one recruiting you're like the gm you're everything you're the guy and Mm -hmm. uh, michigan they haven't beat ohio state i think only maybe only beat them once since harbaugh's been there they're unranked now like he's been there long enough that it's he's gonna have to shoulder the blame for this and uh i don't know how it affects his legacy necessarily in the long run that he went to a major major school and didn't really have much success um, yeah, it'll be something people bring up. He'll probably end up with another job in college. It's something yeah. slightly less, probably one of the teams in a big conference that's never expected to very, like do very much. Yeah. Also Richard Sherman, like hated him. I just watched, um, SB nation does a ser- these great series of videos, um, like sports beef or beef nation so- called something sports nation and, uh, beef history. It is. And they did a whole breakdown of the Richard Sherman, Michael Crabtree rivalry. And it mm. really came down to Richard Sherman hating Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see that. Did he give any kind of specific reasons? Was it just like personality conflicts or was it like, um, probably. And I think uh, coming out of college, Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh didn't really give Richard Sherman like a high recommendation coming into the NFL and Sherman dropped to the fifth round. Uh, so he just was holding the grudge of like, yeah, hey, and fuck Michael you. Crab- I'm, I'm the best. And Michael and Crabtree didn't. was a first round pick. And I think whenever you're a low round pick and you have that chip on your shoulder, somebody who's a first round pick, you're like, fuck this guy. Well, he shouldn't have got drafted higher than me. Yeah. That that kind of reminds me of uh, the, the Jordan and CC things where they're just like, you know, I just decided to fucking hate this guy on this other team to like keep me fired up. Just yeah. it really the was best, like, the, yeah, maybe the best one of that is Shaquille O'Neal, David Robinson, when Shaq just like made up a story about David Robinson rejecting him for an autograph when he was in high school, and then years later he wrote a book. He, this is a that was a whole story at the time. Shaq said, "I hate David Robinson and the Spurs. I've never been a fan of his because uh, when I was a kid he shub, snubbed me for an autograph, and that was the thing, David." Robinson was the most gentlemanly guy, played at Navy, number one overall pick. Um, he would, like, say he didn't really like Shaq's antics because that's kind of the old, um, even in baseball, the old uh, not showing emotion versus showing emotion. That exists in sports in general. 
And David Robinson was on the gentleman sportsman side of the argument. And Shaq was like, well, this guy refused an autograph from me. Let me grab, let me do my thing and party and be a good person. And then years later, he's like, no, I just didn't like him. So I made up that story. It helped fuel me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, 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 it's something that can, if, if you have your brain wired that way, some people just sort of need a rival. Some people need yeah. their like, you, you can't be Batman if you don't have Joker. You, you and, have to. Uh, also on the topic of version Sherman, did you ever see when he went on first take and talked to Skip Bayless the first time? Yeah, he's like in a suit, like just tearing him apart. He's like, I mean, it's one of the most calm, measured, vicious. I've never seen someone say so much like brutal shit in such a calm manner. He's just like, I am better at life than you. In 25 years, I have done more in my life than you have in your entire life. (laughs) Which, you know... His perspective. At the end of the day, if he can't parlay his career into another one, it's like, well, you know that the, Skip Bayless forever. You can say a lot about him. He did figure out a way to get a consistent, very good paycheck for basically forever. Yeah, he is um, a. He's kind of the Rush Limbaugh of sports. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or yeah. Kind of in the same way that like, I know people that listen to him, like how people used to listen to Howard Stern too. They like hated him, yeah. but they just needed to hear the next thing to hate on. Yeah. Which hundred percent, but the Sherman is- interview on there, there's a few people when, um, I used to watch first take when it was Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith all the time. I sometimes watch the show he does with Shannon Sharp. Um, not so much that I like hate it. Like I listen so much that I can't stand it. But I definitely do enjoy when someone like owns a Skip Bayless or Stephen or any like when Mark Cuban came on first take back in the day and just explained basketball to Skip Bayless and it was like, oh, he doesn't know as much as I thought he did. Do you remember the name? I forget who the guy's name, but do you remember who brought his like JV high school basketball stats with them to be like, you averaged one point a game in the one season you ever played basketball? Was that, uh, yes, I remember that. I forgot who was it. Jalen Rose. I forget who it was, but someone came on with his like printed out stats for JV basketball because he claimed to have like played well on a varsity team, and they're like, "You got cut from JV, dumb bitch!" Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If I you do if you that, have that, that personality, yeah. having that personality is a double edged sword because you instantly become the most fun person to dunk on. Yes. Um, but yeah, before we move on, some of the other football stuff that happened, uh, the Steelers still undefeated. The Cowboys didn't lose. I was very excited. The Cowboys did not lose this week. They had a bye week. Yeah. And the the Giants have put together a small run, two wins in a row tied for the division (laughs) lead three, seven and one or something like that. The NFC East is wild. The other uh, game I really uh, enjoyed the uh, Miami versus San Diego, Justin Herbert versus Tua potentially the two leading candidates for rookie of the year. Uh, yeah, I missed that one. What was the, the highlight? Uh, Miami won. Miami's on a run. They're six and three. They're like close to the bills in that division. Tua is doing great. Which has got to be so frustrating if you're Buffalo. It's like, God yeah. damn it. Come on. We just fucking got rid of Brady. Now you fucking yeah. fit. Yeah. Dolphins are going to be good. Yeah. And we, uh, we, do- we did dunk on Brady last week for, uh, having an awful game in New Orleans. Got to give him credit this week. He did great this week, and it helped my fantasy team win. Well, Tom Brady is is kind of similar in this way to me, to somebody else who was in the news this week, actually. It's like a decent comparison. Uh, well, Dustin Johnson won the Masters this week, but that wasn't the headline out of the Masters. The, the headline was Tiger sucks. 
And yeah, Brady is in that way similar to Tiger, where I think he is very decidedly over the hump, but whatever that was is still in him. Because Tiger won the Masters last year. Like, yeah. he obviously can do it. He just probably won't now. But it's also not even that. It is insane that he won the Masters last year at the, being this over the hump, quote unquote. Same thing with Brady. It's amazing that he had this game that he had at 43, 44 years old. Like when he's bad, it's like that's kind of how a 44 year old should be. Yeah, that's so that's so that a comparison I'm trying to draw is like, you know, yeah. you, you, once you start taking that grand so because Tiger did something that uh my <laughs> I was texting with my dad about it because Tiger <laughs> shot a 10 on a par 3. You're only supposed yeah. to use 3 on a par 3. You're yes, supposed the, to not hit up yeah, a par 3 means that the average person or the average professional golfer, you should be getting a 3. Uh you yeah. should be getting the ball in the hole on three strokes, not 10. <laughs> Yeah, Tiger took that as that's how many times I should hit the water on this hole. <laughs> Three times. Uh, and as somebody who's played a decent amount of golf in my life, I understand that feeling. It's one of the most angering, frustrating things in the world. Because if you were if you do that, not only have you embarrassed yourself in front of everybody you're with pretty badly, you've ruined your whole day. A game of golf takes four and a half hours, but can be fucked up in half a second. And the whole yeah. score is, is completely destroyed now. You fucked yeah. up the entire round. You fucked up your handicap. It's it's one of the most infuriating things ever. I've I definitely know myself to have a small temper if I'm being competitive. And I've for sure almost wrapped clubs around trees. And I I've I've heard stories that I this runs in my blood. <laughs> yeah as somebody who's played a lot of mario golf in my day i agree it can be very embarrassing when you just keep hitting it in the water or a bunker and shy guy comes down to humiliate you it's it's terrible yeah you but you can't be like a koopa fucking start restart <laughs> fucking yeah. go straight you back fucking, to the you got fucking mario and uh wario and bowser all laughing at you and fucking charlie who's never been in another nintendo game i don't even know who he is this put randomly some dude named charlie in mario golf and he's yeah. laughing at me who the fuck are you <laughs> and now and now imagine how you'd feel if you had to buy a new gamecube every time you lost <laughs> yeah that's what it's like playing fucking golf <laughs> it's fucking infuriating yeah but dustin not, johnson did yeah. win the masters this week and dustin johnson has quietly become one of the greatest golfers you know, in the history of the game, he, he's, he's fantastic. He competes yeah. for the title in every tournament he's in. He's a really fun player to watch. So just, you know, congrats and shout out. Yeah. He's the best, like of this generation, but I think uh, whoever the best of this generation uh, is, is going to, or next generation, unless because Tiger and Phil Mickelson were both so overly dominant. Of, like, you have to look at like maybe only Jack Nicholas as being mm -hmm. the other golfer that so coming off of Tiger and Phil, if you have another guy who is dominant for his era, it still will probably pale in comparison unless they surpass Tiger and Phil. Um, but most like almost like whoever the greatest player in basketball was after Michael Jordan was gonna have like it was gonna be a drop off because they weren't gonna be Michael Jordan. Yeah, well, and I think that the the key similarity between those things is number of championships and titles. Like, it doesn't matter how yeah. good you are. You can't kind of compare the guy that's won 15 times to the guy that's, like, in his first season. So, yeah. I and think even the next time... Is like, yeah, LeBron did kind of, like, surpass all expectations if he's, like, was going to be the next dominant guy after Jordan. Um, but that's so rare that, like, the next guy really does even come close 
to uh, the most dominant, like in bike in cycling, no one's coming close to Lance Armstrong for maybe a couple decades. Yeah, and Lance Armstrong, I think, is going to be unique in this way that Tony Hawk is unique in that I don't think anybody's ever going to hit that height of fame doing that again. Yeah, like. Like, I don't like you. I don't care. Like any, some guy can win the X games 10 times in a row. I don't think that person is going to like going to have the name and household name recognition that like Tony Hawk does. And I think Lance Armstrong is going to own bikes in a similar way. Mm, Maybe. Uh, But yeah, golf, golf's an interesting one where it's like, when you look back historically, it's got one of the richest histories of any Mm -hmm. of the sports. Yeah. Um, Arnold Palmer. Yeah. Or even even um, mention him. Yeah, there's uh yeah, Arnold Palmer is probably one of the big ones, but there's other like na- Bobby Jones, I think was the name of one of them that I heard growing up, who's like in the twenties or thirties. Like it's like it goes like there's big names that people who follow the sport would know that go further back than basketball or football being professional leagues. hmm Golf kind of has golf needs a couple guys like Dustin Johnson right now in the way that tennis had for a while. Cause I think it was really good for men's tennis for a while that there was about like four guys that could win every major, Yeah, but it wasn't like one guy could go on a like Federer would win a bunch, but then like Djokovic could win a bunch and then Nadal could win a bunch. And yeah. it always created this, like the finals were usually between two guys who expected to win it every time. And you had that like top level of like name recognition competition. And I think golf half the time, when it gets down to a final, it'll be somebody with mild recognition. Like you might get your Rory McIlroy's or your bubble Watson's up there, but it'll be against a guy that you have to watch every week to know his name. Yeah. That um, I remember from doing security at the U S open every year, it was like Nadal Federer Djokovic and Nadal Federer Djokovic. And then maybe one year you had one of them versus somebody who wasn't as big of a name, but then there was one year where it was, uh, Two completely random. It was Kane Ishikori versus Marin Cilic. One was Japanese, one was Croatian. And in Flushing, New York, there are there's a big Asian population, so there were at least uh, it seemed not as big as if it was a Federer Nadal or even a mm-hmm. Serena match. But there were at least a lot of Asian people there who were like, "Let's go there for our guy Kane Ishikori." Um, and then he lost to the Croatian guy. And so it was uh, doing security at the end. You're making sure people don't like rush the court. It was just like 15 Croatian people. <laughs> or you're just kind of like, you know, you know what, guys? Go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's just you guys. <laughs> yeah. But that was uh, the that's... talk. Of, I mean, that's uh, the talk of uh, because you and I, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak for you. Not huge tennis or golf fans in the same way that I am, like a baseball, hockey, or football fan. So like, from an outsider, one of the uh, like a Kane Ishikori Marin Cilic, uh final. If you're a big tennis fan, maybe a big deal. Like the same way in baseball, there was the talk if the Rays and the Braves were playing in the World Series, it would have been a terrible, not interesting World Series. I still would have enjoyed watching it. Uh, me too. Rays Braves would have been awesome. Rays Braves yeah. would have been really, really fucking cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I like golf more than tennis, but it's because I've played golf. I think watching golf becomes infinitely more interesting once you've played a lot of it. Yeah. And I think that's true of just about anything. I feel like yeah. that's why one they day, air anything. Yeah. Like, one day I have to go out and like, I've only, I've never been like on a full like golf court. I played mini golf a bunch. I still, it's a fun first date. 
Uh, it's, it's fun to do it, with friends, but I've never been on like a full like golf course and done a full round of golf. I also fucking love miniature golf. There's a town on the shore in Jersey, Ocean City, New Jersey, which is different than all the other shore towns because they don't sell alcohol anywhere on the island. It's a completely dry island. So it's like super family friendly. And on their boardwalk, there I think on the, the small island, there's 20 different miniature golf courses. So every summer, that's where me and my sister would do. We would, we would play three to four times a day. The rivalry between the four members of my family in miniature golf is so fucking heated. There's been like money put down on it before. There's like been like legit, like days are ruined when people have like bad games. I also fucking love miniature golf. Yeah. But playing regular, like an 18 holes of regular golf, it it's not fun unless you like have some level of like skill because if, if you just like, you have to go to a driving range like like five, six times and like really make sure that you feel that you can get the thing off the ground and going straight every time because it sucks if you're on like hole three and you've like whiffed a couple times and you're like staring at four and a half hours in the sun of like not connecting once. And yeah. Like, and it also like if, if, if you start like really fucking up, like people behind you start to be like dicks, like they want you to like go quicker, like like it's it's uh, and it's also just mad expensive. Greens fees. Yeah, yeah I can, of course. Yeah, that's probably the main reason I haven't ever done it before. I, I would play with my dad, and then I tried to play with my friends in high school, and there's an app called Golf Now where you can buy, like, canceled tee times, like, 20 minutes before, so you can kind of get lucky and get, like, a 25% of what it should cost, but you have to get yeah. real lucky. So I think I've played without my dad four times in my life. Yeah. But I've been mm. so... Uh, so yeah, um, when we what, if we sell the podcast, we can get real into golf. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, before we move on to football, one last thing I think we probably should talk about the Drew Brees injury. You heard about that? Um, I saw the headline. I didn't look so, into. The- so he got hit, and then it came out. It was like punctured, long ribs. Like he got really hit bad, and he is like forty-one years old. It seems like the type of thing that he may be back for, like the average player you look at, maybe back for the players or a 41 year old. I mean, Grease is a tough guy, but I don't know if this is uh, the end of his season, the end of his career. Like, who knows? Grease is an interesting case for that, too, because if you remember, there was a lot of talk that he would never play again after a first big injury, like a long time ago, like 15, 16 years ago. Yeah, that was back when he was still with San Diego, I think. Yeah, yeah, he had to overcome a pretty pretty serious injury to get himself back on the field in the first place. He also has little kids. He made his money. At what point is it, like, irresponsible to his, like, life to, like, take another hit like that? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the question in all sports and everything like that is uh, at a certain point. It's all you've known your whole life, but... You know, there's guys who now retire in their 20. Andrew Luck just retired at 29. There's guys who retire young because, but also Drew Brees is still like crushing it and on a Super Bowl contender. Mm-hmm. It's one of those like I, 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 if I was him, I'd be real considering it, depending on the severity of this. Like if you're sitting in the hospital with like a punctured lung and you like have your like three and five year old kids like watching you like get destroyed on TV and then spend the whole week with you in a hospital. Like how, like how many times do you want to do that? And how many times, like at what point are they like, are you just going to die? Yeah. But I, I also think that the, um, 
the uh, kind of mentality uh, you have to have to be the person who Drew Brees has been for the last 20 years in the NFL is the kind of personality that doesn't think that way necessarily for sure he, but i like yeah the, the part the, the part about having little kids and having made his money i think is the part that could like jar like like change that because like that's how people talk about like having kids like i think like if at a certain point his like family like communicated to him like we can't do this anymore we talked about it last week that thing of beyond the mat the most interesting part of that was uh to me anyway was when they kept cameras trained on mick foley's wife and kids instead of showing the match the entire time yeah just, just how like horrible this experience is for them every single time, and just like, the, yeah, the, like I actually, yeah, I just rewatched the movie The Wrestler, and that's like a story about a guy who all they have is their like field, sport, field, whatever, and so much so that they don't know what they are without it. They've ruined their life. They are not in their kid's life. Like I feel like that does exist. That I don't know. If this is the case with Drew Brees, but. Um, that somebody is so football is his entire life or whatever your sport is your whole life that no, the idea of like, I'm going to live for my kids is it's not a thing of not caring about the kids. It's just, this is all they know. And it's all in their head that I need to keep doing this. And I, yeah, but that, that's sickness. That's like, that's like yeah, sad. I mean, listen to the greatest athletes talk about their psychological, like how they psychologically feel about things like that sickness is what makes them amazing athletes. Oh my God. You just kind of reminded me of something. I love to, you know, poke this, this bear all the time, but I saw a quote that made me laugh this week from Ken Griffey jr. Where he's like, you know, if you win, you smile, you go home and you come back the next day. But if you lose, you smile, you go home and come back the next day. And I'm like, yeah, spoken like someone who never won shit. <laughs> like what the fuck is that? That's, that's, the, that's not how you win. And you fucking prove that. Maybe. I mean, I was thinking about, I was uh, watching, uh, there was a, Shannon Sharp did an interview with Ken Griffey Jr. I was watching it. I feel like in my lifetime, he is the best baseball player I've ever seen. Sure. But it's just one of those things where like, I hear that opinion so much that when, like, I, I kind of love poking at him, especially because he's a Yankee hater. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> yeah, he's a Yankee hater, but he's the only Yankee hater. I hear the story and I get why he's a Yankee hater. No, we've gone over this. I That story's completely bullshit. There's no way. There's no way that that happened like that. He he encountered an unpleasant security guard. There's there's no way that that that, that George Steinbrenner personally called down to the field, got a mid like just some field level security guy to come up. Some guy was taking his job too seriously and thought he was going to be a hero. And I'm like sure, but also I would hate the Yankees too if they kept winning and I was supposed to be so great and never yeah. won shit. Yeah, and there's also um. Well, I mean. Yeah, Seattle did knock us out of the like Seattle got I guess did we beat them in a series at 95 they really like knocked the Yankees out yeah and then look how it went for them <laughs> um but also I I think that's also the crazy competitiveness is yeah it was just an unpleasant experience with a security guard and he turned that into a lifelong grudge and his numbers against the Yankees were great yeah but like then he should have done that with the rest of the stupid league. He did. <laughs> he, he didn't, though, because he didn't win anything. You can't, you in baseball especially, at least in basketball there's an argument, but and football as a quarterback maybe. In baseball, you can do absolutely everything within your power to win and still not win. Like it's playing, so playing, playing most of your career in Seattle and Cincinnati is not doing everything you can to win these days. I mean, be on the field, like in his actual play, you can't blame Ken Griffey Jr. for his team's not winning. 
Yeah, but I can I can make fun of him when he comes at real winners with that attitude. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's fair. But as long as we're on baseball, um, you want to go to the Hall of Fame, and then uh, we got to clo- we'll we'll wrap up. I guess we got to close out with the uh, NBA trades or trade talk. Oh, okay. I was I was I was wondering if we were going to do the Hall last. Then let's do let's do these two other baseball stories first, and then do the Hall, yeah. and then do. That real quick, um, that clip you sent me of Ozzy Keen just talk, just flat out saying he hates Nick Swisher is very funny that was because so it's just, funny. It, I, it's just so rare. Like every time it happens, I think about it. It's so rare to hear an adult in that position, like a public position, just just declare like fuck this person, talk fuck like everything child, they stand like for. Like a, yeah, they talk like a child, basically. Like, it was very funny. They, it was an interview with Ozzie Guillen, because, well, yeah, we'll get to the Hall of Fame. Nick Swisher is uh, on the ballot for the Hall of Fame, and someone just shared on Twitter a clip of Ozzie Guillen back in the day just saying, I hate Nick Swisher. I don't like him. He's fake. I don't like anything about him. <laughs> yeah, and he, he he likes he goes on for, like, a full minute. Like, like fuck him. I have He's like, and he probably hates me, too, and I, like, to have no fucking good words for him, which is, it's just so interesting to me when somebody like, is that like, fuck you and fuck everything you're about because it happens so rarely. And I, when it does happen and it's kind of justified, it can launch you to another level. That's what, what, what was Joe Rogan's like big coming out party as like an actual standup. It, it was yeah. telling Carlos Mencia to go kill himself on the comedy seller stage or the uh, um, comedy store stage. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, or um, yeah. did you see the Craig Carton doc? No, I haven't yet. I haven't found a way to watch it. You said it's on HBO, but I don't have HBO. Oh, uh, that's. Uh, I'll try to work something out uh, later, maybe. But because it yeah. was actually, it was very interesting, and I think you'd like it a lot. But there's a sequence where he reveals that he had been like pretty seriously molested as a kid, and that's where he thinks a lot of his like gambling and like problem behavior came from. And then they started playing clips of when uh, the Penn State thing went down. He was like the most hardcore vocal, like Joe Paterno is in hell. Anybody that's supporting him is a monster. Like, and that's like, it was, that just sort of reminded me that of like another guy just being like, nope, he's like, anybody who supports him is going to hell. Like I fuck, I fuck everybody that's on his side. Like he's a monster. He knew this was going on. It's, it's always interesting to me to hear a grown person hate another person publicly. Yeah. Yeah, that was a very fun clip to watch. And Ozzy Guillen is also, when someone's entertaining, they kind of get away with stuff that objectively, if you tell me, here's a thing that uh, this person said, like this person said this about this, I'd be like, that's really immature and dumb. But then there's a, in pro wrestling, there's a guy who uh, was a manager back in the 80s, Jim Cornette, and the 90s also. And his entire podcast now is shitting on modern day wrestling. Like he still he still watches today's wrestling. He hasn't really been involved in a while, and he just talks shit about all of it, which sounds like why would anyone listen to that? He is so funny and entertaining. He's got like, uh, if a wrestling show started now and had his numbers that his podcast does, that'd be a decently rated show. There, I when you said that, actually, I didn't have I I thought there's probably tons of people who want to listen to that because, yeah. Um, there's three subcultures that have like a lot of crossover that all have one big thing in common and it's horror movies, punk rock and wrestling, which is the people that love it just complain about it incessantly. 
Well, it's, it's, it hasn't it's, been good in 20 years. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like they love it so much. It's their whole identity. But if you ask them, they, they kind of hate it all. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, there's definitely like the comic book nerd thing about, uh, that exists in wrestling also. Um, but either way, like just the idea of that somebody, if you, Ozzy Guillen, if you told me this, some former manager just like said, I hate this player. I'd be like, it's kind of immature, but you're Ozzy Guillen doing it. Like, this is awesome. Well, he is that guy. There was, um, one season showtime tried to like rival hbo and did like a version of hard knocks but they did it the first year that he managed the miami marlins yeah. and it was actually crazy interesting was it's that when the, he like said fidel castro is a good guy yeah and, and they were like dealing with the new stadium and like he was yeah. only hired because he was cuban basically <laughs> like it was yeah. it was this whole like they didn't have any idea that he would like fit well with the team they wanted to like get the people of miami excited was that when they first went from florida marlins to miami marlins first year of miami marlins i believe it was the first year of john carlos stanton yeah instead of mike oh yeah i forgot yeah i always forget that his name was mike stanton which was also the name of a pitcher that the yankees had back in the 90s yeah, that was a big transitional year. And the, the my big takeaway from that thing is I sort of remember them pranking Logan Morrison once and making him think there was a ghost in his hotel room. And I remember thinking that was like the best part of the doc. That's strange. <laughs> um, but what was the other baseball story you said you had? Um, the Miami Marlins hired a new general manager. Yeah, the first woman general manager in that happened uh, between the last time we recorded and now. Yeah, it's been the biggest story. If you go to like Reddit R Sports and filter like top this week, it's first yeah. thing that comes up. Every it's like unanimously praised around baseball. Like every team was like, "Congrats, that's awesome." She's been someone that's been killing it in front offices for over twenty years. Yeah, she Yankees, was like Dodgers. With, yeah, she was with the Yankees when they won the World Series in the nineties. Their dynasty. There's this great picture that they've been putting side by side of her and Jeets in like '97, and then as he hires her, yeah, it, it's pretty awesome, and uh, it's it's good. It's good for the game. It's 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 just everything about it is good for the game. She's a qualified yeah. hire. It's gonna it's positive press for a game that yeah. needs lots of it's positive also, press. Yeah, it's great that she's qualified. There could be no one who's saying they're only doing this for the publicity because she's a woman. She's like got all the qualifications no it's more like jackie robinson it's like she's so overwhelmingly qualified that to not give her this job would just be bigotry at this point yeah that's <laughs> to not give it to her would be uh sports uh, illustrated said she would be the first female gm in 2003 and she just got the job in 2020 so you know yeah it, it was a grind yeah um but yeah and i think she's the first female executive in like all the four major sports I think so. I think there's been ones in soccer, like yeah. Premier League, like English Premier League soccer, but yeah. they're better, but, you know. And there's been talk in the NBA of Becky Hammond possibly becoming the first female head coach. Uh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. It, my, my, only, my only knock against any of that would be, like, I'm always skeptical of people that did not play in the league. Just, just, just like – but it, I, it's been proven that that doesn't matter. It's just always a sticking point in my head that's like well how could you really know what it's like to be doing that thing if you've never done it i've thought about that before also and i do still kind of have that mindset but then also scotty bowman is an nhl coach who's like executive and as a head coach has the most stanley cups ever and he never played in the league no i get that i like and i understand it like when you think about it just somebody who like 
understands the thing inside and out and just happens to be five foot seven and just can't like can't yeah, execute also, any of this shit that they know what, as a general manager or as a head coach or both uh, both so then no, what general about? general manager i can uh, i'm talking about head coach right now general okay, manager yeah. you can be like a nerdy books guy and that makes tons of sense to me the whole yeah. time but um, like as a head to, coach, to be a head coach becky, becky hammond did play like high-level college basketball and WNBA. 100%. But I think there's something, you know, it's the NBA. It moves, you know, it's the top 1% of the 1% of the college players. Like, it's, it, yeah. the game has got to move in this such a quick, crazy way. I'm sure it is comparable. And I know that this isn't like a, a point. This isn't like an argument against anybody. It's just always the first thought I have when it was not a former player is like, huh? Yeah. I wonder. I wonder what that like, what the perspective is because like, Even, it's, not it's like a Michael little bit Jordan. different because like she is a former player, just not in the same league. So that, that's mm-hmm. an interesting uh, different. Like, is somebody who knows women's basketball inside and out would they also know men's basketball inside and out? Part parts that. that, that I think, yeah, the basics and the fundamentals of like how to score and play defense, I think are, are similar on paper, but I, I don't know. I'm talking about my yeah. ass now. I don't really know anything. I know that a lot of coaches did play in college, even if you would like, wouldn't look at them and assume like, oh, you play like, like they played like D2 or something, or they played on like some shitty D1 team that got crushed all the time. And then they became a coach. I know that's kind of common. Yeah, but well, if um, if Becky Hammond became the head coach of the 76ers, she could help out once a month when Ben Simmons gets his period. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh man, I, I was just about to launch into the other thing, but we were gonna close with that. Okay, yeah, um, we'll do baseball Hall of Fame. The um, so the new ballot came out, and uh, I don't, I mean, so we'll go through the, there's uh, holdovers from years past, and there's the new names. The new names on the ballot are Mark Burley, A.J. Burnett, Michael Kadire, Dan Harron, Latroy Hawkins, Tim Hudson, Tori Hunter, Aramis Ramirez, Nick Swisher, Shane Victorino, Barry Zito. Um, some surprising names on that. I mean, each year, the, the people who just make the ballot, they a lot of guys make the ballot who it's that they're, they're not going to get, they'll only be there for a year. They're going to get less than 5%. They'll be dropped off in a year. That happens every year. Yeah, and I'm sure that that's like its own sort of honorable mention. Like, yeah, hey, you contributed a ton to the game, and this is our way of like, we're not putting you in here, but at least you got mentioned, which is like which more is than fine. Most yeah, Shane get. Victorino, I think, belongs in that category. Contributed a lot to the game. Not going to be a Hall of Famer, but the places he did well, he's definitely known. AJ Burnett also, um, great years in Miami. The three that stand out to me as I'm having any prayer is uh, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, and Torrey Hunter. Yeah. Well, what about Swisher? What were his final career numbers? He's got a World Series ring, but I don't think that Nick Swisher has anywhere close to 3,000 hits. He certainly doesn't have – I don't think no, he's got 500 he was, home runs. I think he only hit 30 homers like once or twice. I was looking it up uh, earlier. I got it in front of me now. He only hit 30 homers one time, 245 career home runs. <laughs> Career batting average of 249, OPS 799. Um, yeah, it's uh, 1,338 hits. It's, it's one of those ones where it's like, yeah, he was very famous. But yeah. I don't think that's what you guys meant by Hall of Fame. Like, yeah, he, he was a big-time 
Yankee with a big personality who dated a TV star. Like he was yeah. famous, but yeah. I don't know that. Well, that's I did. Like... I did use, I have done a bit on stage in my stand-up that the Hall of Fame. If it's called the Hall of Fame, then guys should get should get in just for being famous. And I have a whole argument for why Airbud should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame before Mitch Richmond. I'm pretty who's, sure Air- who's more who's more famous. Yeah, Airbud was a multi. Airbud's like Bo Jackson. Like, yeah, he's like a multi-sport sport athlete. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think at the end of one of them he gets signed by the Angels. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I have this weird I either like had a fever dream once where a dog played for the Angels or that happens yeah. in one of the movies. Yeah. Um, um the interesting uh Barry Zito is uh was very good with the Oakland days but then is kind of most known for just uh stealing money from San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I thought. I was just like, ugh. He took all that money from the Giants, and he, like it's he took all that money, and he like got World Series rings with the Giants, didn't he? Wasn't he? At, yeah, on at I least think one at of least, those teams. Yeah, he was on one, maybe two. Uh, but I will give deserves uh, credit for being a part of that big three in Oakland: the Barry Zito, Tim Hudson, Mark Mulder rotation. Unbelievable mm-hmm. big three, uh, which did not get mentioned at all in Moneyball. <laughs> Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> no, the, the whole idea is like Moneyball. The reason the Oakland A's were really good is because they signed Scott Hatterberg and converted into first base. They got uh, like these like random guys who had high on base. And it's like, yeah, and you had three all t- uh, an all-time great starting three in your rotation. Takes away from Brad Pitt's whole <laughs> little story. Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you um, frame it like that. But yeah, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, Tory Hunter. Um, in my head, I see Mark. I imagine Mark Burley as being better than Tim Hudson. But the numbers, Tim Hudson's got better career numbers. I think some of it is Mark Burley was a consistent. Like he had ten wins every year for like fifteen years with the White Sox. Every single year, he was their ace. World Series, perfect game. He's got more accolades like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Hudson was with Oakland, then he was with the Braves. He had some injury years. He uh, did, wasn't the ace every single time. So mm. it doesn't feel like he's as prominent as Mark Burley, but his career numbers are better than Mark Burley's. My, uh, Mark Burley was another name I was surprised to see on the list. I think the the resume that you just laid out is a much better argument for the White Sox to retire his number than it is to put him in the One, hall. 100%. I think he's a White Sox legend. I think there's a lot of those in sports, guys who are legends for their team, but not Hall of Famers. The entire yeah. sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark Burley, I 100% belongs in the White Sox Hall of Fame and uh, retired number with the White Sox, but not the Hall of Fame. Tim Hudson, maybe Oakland A's Hall of Fame or retired number with the Oakland A's. I think the Oakland A's could retire the Mulder, Zito, and uh, Hudson numbers potentially. They didn't win a World Series with it, but that Moneyball team is like one of the most famous teams of all time. I don't think that they're going to do it right now, though, because I think the right. A's are back into that competitive mindset where they're, they're, they want to win. I think if they win a World Series, you'll see them start kind of handing out accolades to all the people over time that, like, got them there. Because when's the last time the A's won? Like, a long time, right? Like, the 80s, 70s? Um, they won in 88, um, and I think... 80s, yeah. yeah. It was the late 80s, but they had the Bash Brothers, McGuire and... Uh, right, 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 well. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! If anybody hasn't seen that thing on Netflix where Andy Samberg and uh, Akiva Schaefer play them in a thirty-five-minute musical, it's, it's it's pretty fucking great. But uh, yeah, 
Um, now, looking at uh, last year when we talked about the Hall of Fame war, wins above replacement was the big thing we looked at. And generally, 60 and above was how uh, most people who are above 60 are in the Hall of Fame. Um, like uh, I think it's like 80 and 90% of people with above a 60 war in the Hall of Fame. Pitching war is a little bit different than hitters. It's not looked at as, as reliable. But if you go on my pitching war, Mark Burley, 59.1. Um, five-time All-Star, 214 wins, career 381 earned run average. Tim Hudson, four-time All-Star, uh, won a World Series in 2014. Um, he was with the San Francisco Giants towards like the end of his career. Actually made an All-Star team that year. Um, career ERA 349, 222 wins, 57.9 wins above a place, so a little bit lower than Mark Burley's. I'm not exactly sure why. Um, but I don't understand war that much. But Hudson, his peaks were better than Burley's also. Like early in his career, Hudson had a 20-win year, um, finished number two in the Cy Young voting. I don't believe Burley ever came that close to winning a Cy Young. Yeah, it's just in my head, he doesn't remind – like I don't remember him being this like dominant league force. I remember him being on a couple of my fantasy baseball teams, and I don't remember ever being like, well, thank God Mark's on the squad. That's going to push us over the top yeah. this week. Um, lowest ERA he ever had in the season, Mark Burley was 312. He was a consistent, like, and also his big thing was, um, he, uh, efficiency that he, he would pitch these games with, keep the pitch count low. He didn't strike out a lot of guys. So it wasn't very sexy the way he pitched, but he mm-hmm. got the job done for the most part. Uh, never really. Know, he's got a great career. I like, yeah. he's got one of those ones. Like what more could he really ask for? He got his perfect game, which is puts him in. You know, way fewer people have that than won a World Series, but he got the World Series too. Yeah, he, he he's he's he kind of did it. Yeah, and every single full season he pitched. So his rookie year, he only pitched in. Uh, he was a reliever, um, but after in two thousand two thousand one to two thousand fifteen, he starts at least thirty games every year, wins ten games at least every year. Um, he's a model of consistency. Um, but and he but like, was the ace of a World Series winning team. Did he ever finish like top five Cy Young voting? Even like, did he once win? he was he finished fifth place once? <laughs> that's that's yeah. crazy to me. Like, um, also a four time or five time uh, four time Gold Glover. They give out a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, as a pitcher, he was the. They give out one to a pitcher each year. Yeah, I know. I'm, I was just sort of saying they give out like 20 yeah. of seven of those a year. Yeah. I'm, I'm more interested I mean, in I'm, platinum gloves, which is not something that I was really aware of until a couple of years ago. But like, yeah, I never heard of it. Until you brought, you cool. brought it up like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Platinum I glove. I've heard of it before that. Um, Tory Hunter, I think, has the best argument of any of the new people. I don't think any of them are first ballot. I'm not, they're not like hills I would die on, even for Hall of Famers, even in the long run. Um, but Tory Hunter, nine-time Gold Glove winner, five-time All-Star. I think you could make the argument he's a Hall of Fame defender. And then it mm-hmm. comes, there are guys who are in the Hall of Fame because they were Hall of Fame home run hitters. Why can't the guy be in if they're a Hall of Fame defender? Like, your Hall of mm-hmm. Fame offense versus Hall of Fame defense. Uh, there's, like, arguments there. Tory Hunter career, 350 home runs. Two, um... 2,452 hits, um, almost 500 doubles. 
batting average 277, OPS 793. His OPS and OPS plus is lower than Nick Swisher's. Um, hmm. But he was around for a long time doing uh, being an all-star, being an MVP. Uh, MVP can- uh, no, never mind. He uh, finished number six in the MVP voting, which is highest. Um, yeah, I think he got a tough time. There is something that Hall of Famer should be somebody who is at least close to or like one of the top two or three best players in their league. I agree. I think that if not even one season being one of the top three players, I, I, I think that's a big hit to the resume. Although then it's tough when you look at guys who are great defensively because they generally don't get seen as being top in their league. Well, that's what because war defense that's what overlooked. The, that's what the stat is supposed to correct, though. Like, that's the entire idea of wins above replacement is it's, like, factoring in every facet of the game from, like, defense to stolen bases to, like, what, everything that you contribute. So is what's his? I don't – uh, his was 50.7. Yeah, that seems a little low for the Hall bar. Although, here's a – I mean, I, I don't know if – I guess we can start getting into the other people who are on the ballot who are holdovers. Omar Vizquel – is maybe the greatest defensive shortstop ever. I don't know how war works here because Omar Vizquel's war is only 45.6. Maybe it has something to do with like he got like the majority of his hits were singles or something. I don't know. I'm not saying that. Yeah. Like, I know that's the answer. But... Yeah, then Ozzie Smith, who's in the Hall of Fame undoubtedly for his defense also, his war is 76.9. I don't know how yeah. his ends up being that much higher than Omar Vizquel's. Playing different... I, I don't know. I can't, I can't tell you. So yeah, there's um, Omar Vizquel didn't finish in like the MVP uh, top 10 or top five MVP votes at all through his career. Um, but Burt Blylevin is a guy who got in the hall of fame because of overall consistency and looking back on his career being like, Oh, this guy was better than we realized when he was playing. Uh, and he did get it only a two time all-star never a point where you thought he was the best pitcher in the league. One of the best strikeout pitchers of all time. Um, but he gets in the Hall of Fame after his career and looking back. So I think there is room for that. Like a guy like mm-hmm. an Omar Vizquel is somebody who I think we can look back on and be like, wow, this is one of the greatest guys to ever do it. Everyone who plays with him would probably say he's a Hall of Fame player. And at the time, we didn't, he didn't get high MVP votes. I think that's someone we can look back on and be like, this guy deserves it. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with him being in there. I saw a fun tweet Um Larry Walker was tweeting like, I'm so glad I don't have to care about this this year. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's fun. To, it's fun to talk about, but I could definitely uh, see where he's coming from. Where, where he's like, I'm, you know, well, he got in last year. He was like, yeah. he had to sweat it out. And uh, yeah. it was his was last like, year of eligibility. I think or close to it. Yeah. He was like, no more sitting on the edge of my seat for me. <laughs> like, yep. And there was Larry also Walker- between, between 97 and 2000, that run he has there is one of the greatest four-year runs of any hitter in history. Oh, yeah. Larry, Larry Walker, uh, I like him now more because his card in the video game this year was fucking incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all right, I guess um, the vote's not going to happen for another month or so. So once the votes come out, we can like go through the whole ballot and do everyone. I think it's cool to mention the new names that made it uh, this time. But let's close things out with... Uh, NBA trades and trade talk. First of all, the trade that did happen, the Chris Paul deal. Um, fill me in because I'm obsessed with the other one. Of course. Yeah. As a Nets fan, I understand where you want to go. Chris Paul traded from OKC to the Phoenix Suns. So now Chris Paul's uh, going to be there with Devin Booker. OKC got more draft picks. 
Okay, see, they're doing a kind of a variation on the trust the process that Philly did, where Philly was like full on tanking for high draft picks. OKC's done a thing where they just have a lot of draft picks. It doesn't seem like they're fully like trying to lose and get high draft picks. And they're mm-hmm. trying to like just build a squad of super talented first rounders in the next four years. Yeah. And I think it's a good strategy. I think it's, I think it's a, probably one of the best. They have probably, the yeah. brightest future of a lot of the different teams. Like, yeah, just in terms a, of, a they're going to get a couple just, of seasons. Yeah. Shea Gilgis Alexander is a good young player. They have good young guys now. And they're not going to be necessarily the worst team in the league. They were in the playoffs this past year. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a couple seasons of really good players that they don't have to pay that much. They're, they're yeah. going to be really good with the cap. They're going to have lots of... And I like the move for the Suns, too, I, now that I'm thinking about it. Because, like, you know, they have a younger team. They clearly have tons of talent. They went undefeated in that stupid bubble. And yeah, DeAndre, having a veteran... Yeah, to, DeAndre Ayton, if he can pull things together with Chris Paul. Chris Paul could make... He's made big men stars in the past. He can make DeAndre Ayton a star, plus having Devin Booker there. Um, I like this. The Suns will be a fun team to watch. Um, but also the... Um, Kind of the idea of uh, the Sixers, the way they were doing it, is almost you're banking on a Zion, a Joel Embiid, a Ben Simmons. You're like, top three pick. We're banking on getting a generational star that will carry the franchise. And those come around so rarely. You're probably mm-hmm. better off just having so many first-round draft picks. You get like a 13th pick with Donovan Mitchell or somebody who's like more like that. And if you have, what do they have, like 10 first-round picks in the next five, six years, you're yep. more likely to develop a team of really talented guys than just basing your whole team around one generational guy. Yeah. It's you got, you just got to spread it out. You got to, I I think it's a good strategy, but what it does say to me though, is Chris Paul has decided that like championship might be a little bit off the table for his career. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Chris Paul decided to be in Phoenix. I said this uh, a few weeks ago. I think Chris Paul is the best basketball player of all time to never play in the finals. Probably. There's guys who didn't win, but at least made Charles Barkley played there. Stockton and Malone played there. The only guys who never really got there are guys who were like pure scorers in the past, like a George Gervin, David Thompson, Alex English, guys who they were kind of one dimensional players. Chris mm. Paul's a great defensive player, facilitator, scorer. He can do it all. And he's never even been to the finals. Yeah, and, and it's it, it sucks that I mean he played in the West the whole, almost the did it the, was he the whole time? No, he was a Hornet at one point. Was Were they? the Hornet? Yeah, but they I think it was uh, the New Orleans Hornets though. Yeah, but so I he, that's I think they West, were in the Western Conference the whole time he was there. Okay, so then he played in the dominant, like very hard to play. I think if he was on a team in the East, he would have had a finals appearance. He would have he would have been on like if he had played for the Celtics or he played for you know, really anybody in the East, Miami. He would have had some Who, finals appearance. Maybe would he have been able to get through LeBron though? That was always the big blockade in the East, was you couldn't get past LeBron or the big three Celtics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. True. He, uh, he played in a really, really competitive NBA that had a lot of unbelievable teams. And especially there was, it got to that point in the West where there was a, there was so many teams that were fantastically good. The Clippers were yeah. great at the same time. The Thunder were really good at the same time. The Rockets were really good. And the Warriors, obviously. Yeah. And then, yeah, 
before you even mentioned that there was a team that beat them all every single year. Yeah, and even the <laughs> even the Lakers in the late two thousand before two thousand ten when they had Kobe still and they they won a championship then like mm-hmm. yeah it was Kobe that, Bryant uh, the Mavericks with the the Dirk years yeah almost every team in that conference had a time the seven, where they yeah, had the seven championship seconds potential or, what the the ten seconds or less Suns yeah it's it's absurd it's uh, he's had to fight you know all over the place it's just it kind of sucks i like i don't think the Suns are going to make the finals before he retires yeah um yeah probably not but i do think that Suns team will be fun to watch and who knows like some of those got devin booker deandre ayton maybe in championships in the future and then like look back and be like they became great or greater because of having chris paul there so i think is it uh, i think chris paul would uh i don't know a lot about like him personally but he seems like the way he plays he would make a good head coach yeah yeah no i think i think that's probably the case too i think he's well liked around the league too yeah um but yeah so that deal and okc this strategy hasn't really been done before but okc he's doing the um not quite tanking but almost like long term like this many draft picks they got a shitload of draft picks with the paul george deal and now this one it'll be interesting to see if in 2028 they're like a contender bold strategy cotton yeah um but yeah now um the moment you've been waiting for um yeah well this is this is the one of the craziest weirdest off seasons to ever have been a nets fan um (laughs) since the last time that they well what's interesting now is it feels like they like looked back at what they did the first time they tried to get a big three and they're like we're gonna do it Almost the same way, just slightly younger players this time. Yeah, which uh, not is sli- not slightly younger. Yeah, yeah, not younger. guys that are at the very tail end of their fucking career. Actually, Paul it is, yeah, it is kind of slightly younger. I guess I, in my mind, I don't think of these guys as being. They are like all established veterans, ten year veterans yeah. in the yeah. in the league, and uh, yeah. So Kyrie and Kevin Durant are already Nets, which is absurd in it of itself. And then they might add arguably you know you, you got Steph Curry in there too but one of the best three-point shooters to ever do it coming um, in one of the best um some of that is volume too mm-hmm. Harden does too, shoot but, a lot but I would say the uh the best uh he's putting up scoring records that we haven't seen since Will Chamberlain the 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 thing about it all week I cannot stop thinking about it because the proposed trade would be like Two first-round picks, Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie to the Rockets, which I I think it'd be a good deal for the Rockets. I think Dinwiddie is an awesome guy to have on the squad. I think Karis LeVert is going to become a, a workable second star on a team. And then yeah. if you have those two first-round draft picks, and now all of a sudden, instead of being this aging, we never got their team, you have a completely fresh squad with a couple established guys with – time because they might also get jared allen in that trade jared allen is a perfectly fine everyday center if they get jared allen um i am all in on the rockets doing this deal yeah i think it would make a really i I, if it doesn't happen i won't be upset that's the thing because already 
I, the, being a Nets fan, it's starting to feel like we have imposter syndrome. Like we're not supposed to, you're, nobody's supposed to go into the season being like the Nets have final chances. Like that's not what we are. It feels like we're two little people in a trench coat right now. And everybody's just going to find out that like, this isn't going to work. So yeah. I, I'm very curious to see how it works out, but a reality where the Nets are the favorites to win the final makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, for sure, the Rockets, I don't know how or if the Rockets would move Westbrook too, but if the Rockets start, like now, now might be the time for them to start a rebuild because I don't think that this team is going to win the championship. The, the head coach is gone. I don't think the idea of uh, no center basketball and like what, six foot set, uh, PJ Tucker as your center and basically five guys will all shoot. I don't think that right now is going to win a championship. No. I'm with you 100%. I think I like on paper, it's one of those trades that kind of makes sense. If the Nets win a title this year or next year, great. Because who knows if that ever fucking happens again. I'm totally fine with the Nets going completely balls out trying to win their title because that's the only way they're ever going to win a title. They're going to, they have to make all these crazy moves, put together this crazy super team that you cannot maintain. Someone's going to leave. Someone's going to, do something. I am a little, the only part of this is like Knicks fans are having a lot of fun trying to be like, Oh, this is never going to work. Kyrie's such a baby. He won't be option three, but it's like, okay, cool. Have fun thinking that you're going to win 10 games this year. Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Knicks, I'm a Knicks fan too, but I guess, well, I feel like there's two ways when you root for such a bad team, there's two ways you can go. One, you almost, uh, you're like, I'm going to kind of, not really almost like when you have a family member who's like extremely toxic and like horrible, you just don't really call them much anymore. You see mm-hmm. them here and there. You still like wish well for them. You just like pull away a little bit. Yeah. And like if they ever get out of, if they ever get out of rehab, you'll be like back. <laughs> yeah. That's how I am as a Knicks fan. I feel like that's one way you can go. The other way is to be so involved that you're so angry that you just lash out at everyone else. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess that is true. But uh, yeah, it, it feels like grasping at a at straw. Like the rest of the East is trying to be like, well, your team chemistry has the potential to be bad. It's like, yeah, we have three Hall of Famers. Yeah, like, no matter. The- <laughs> well, also, I mean, there's some of that, but no matter what you, uh, if you are going a favorite or a team that's like go- could do well, does do well, you're gonna have haters. Mm-hmm. What and it's just weird because it, like the first time it happens it's like why are you guys, we're the nets like why are you guys hating on us and then you realize like oh wait we have like perhaps one of the best offensive fives ever if yeah. this trade imagine, goes through imagine being a warriors fan they won a title in like 1970 something with rick barry but for most of your life if you're not if you're our age most of your life when we were young they had the uh, run tmc with uh tim hardaway uh chris mullen and uh, like mitch richmond that was like a fun little team. Jason Richardson was a great dunker. Monte Ellis was fun. They were the eight seed who upset the number one seed one. Like, but they're never really a great team. And all of a sudden, you draft Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, homegrown talent. You are winning championships, and you start to get a little bit of heat because you're the team winning. And then you have a chance to get a generational talent who wants to come to you and Kevin Durant, and you uh, you're the villains most evil team of all time when like five years ago you would never want anything. 
No, yeah, they, 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 I, I think I've brought this up before, but it was like a running joke that Bob Saget was the uh, like post game reporter for the Warriors, and they sucked so bad on Full House, like through the whole run of it, that that was like yeah. his job to like talk about basketball losses every day. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, it'll I, be interesting. I, yeah, it'll it, be interesting. It, it, and that's uh, it'll be interesting no matter what because if the trade doesn't go through, they still have Katie and Kyrie. Yeah, and Jared Allen and Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie, like they're going to be competitive this year, no matter what. I think it wouldn't be stupid to predict a Nets Lakers Finals preseason. Yeah, I think I almost uh, because Kyrie has had some injury issues and Durant also. They both that almost having Harden there is kind of like no matter what injury happens, you have any one of the uh, probably not Kyrie. Um, but Durant or Harden, if they are the still one guy on your team, you still are a like dominant. You're going to compete. Team. Yeah, you're going to yeah. be able. They'll be able to compete with um, like fucking Kyle Lowry, flopping bitch, and uh, the Celtics. <laughs> but if, yeah, but if like um, if it's if it's just Kyrie and Durant, and Durant is hurt, I don't think they're a finals contender with just Kyrie. They'll, they'll still make – that's the weird part, though, is, like, it's so strange to think of the Nets this way because, like, my whole life as a Nets fan, like, making the eighth seed was fun. If you could win a playoff game yeah. in the first round, it was a good time. My main takeaway from this, actually, was I was a little bit disappointed because I'm so used to being able to, like, two hours beforehand go on StubHub and be like, sweet, these yeah. are decent seats for, like, $22, and I'm in yeah. Brooklyn anyway. I'm just going to go to the fucking game. I would Never go to like be five, able to six, do that now. Yeah, I used to go to five, six games a year on a whim, and now it's yeah. going to be like I get to pick one fucking game. If they're playing a good team, tickets are going to be like $130 for the fucking yeah. top of the – that, that was the part that pissed me off. I was like, oh, my – again, it feels like we're two little people in a trench coat, and I it doesn't yeah. feel – real or right yet and who people in a trench coat because anthony's too scared to say midget you know maybe i respect them no you don't for being little (laughs) i I couldn't do it as soon as as soon as the podcast gets off the air anthony's like yeah you know what these fucking midgets actually no see if you were to like if you were to be able to like FBI hack my phone, one of the last texts I did send included the phrase dirty feeded midgets because. Uh, <laughs> oh man. If, uh, if only you can make that the name of the episode, <laughs> but it's, but it's because someone forced me to watch the stupid fellowship of the ring and I don't like the Lord of the Rings. So I was like, I, I don't give a fuck about Steven Tyler's daughter or dirty footed midgets. <laughs> and uh, that's, I would like to name the episode Dirty Footed Midgets, but we're probably going to name it Two Little People in a Trench Coat. Yeah. Uh, hey, that's 100% how it feels to be a Nets fan right now. Yeah. There is something to um, uh, when you have, I guess, is, uh, we'll uh, wrap up soon. We're just a bit, uh, over an hour at this point. But I, um, as an Islanders fan, they've gotten really good over the last couple of years, but they are still kind of a small market team because they're just outside of New York, of Manhattan that even mm. when they're good, you can still go to games like fairly affordable, not as affordable as when they were bad. And when they were bad, it was like $10 tickets and free coupons for Chipotle after the game. Oh man. I remember the the season that the Nets played at the Prudential Center where I think they won like 11 games total that whole year, maybe less. They were giving tickets away. The only yeah. game that cost any money to go see would be when the Heat came to town. Yeah, I saw a Nets game a few years ago. It was the Nets versus the Bulls, and it was a $30 ticket for the game, 
and after the show, there was a pro wrestling podcast that was recording in like a side room at Barclays Center. And it was a $30 ticket to see the live recording and the game. It was Nets <laughs> Bulls when they were both like not in the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's been a long ride of watching the Nets be terrible, get okay, terrible, yeah, kind of all right. Maybe we're good. Nope. It's so like, you know, I'll, I'll believe any success when I see it, I guess. But, all right. Thank you guys for listening. The podcast is at who's on first pod one on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at real Matt Marin, Anthony past 94 on Twitter and Instagram for Anthony. Thank you guys for listening. Send us any questions, comments, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. yeah.